I am grateful that we know the same God. That's, that's, that's great. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you for that. Take your Bibles this morning. If you have one, turn to the book of 1 Peter. We've been in the, uh, in the book of 1 Peter for a few weeks now, and I'm jumping just a little bit out of sequence here in order to bring this morning's message, and I think you understand why in just a moment. I'm going to address your attention this morning to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll start with just one verse, and that's verse number 9. Much has been said already this morning about our great nation, and for that, again, I give God thanks. And yes, God providentially saw fit for us to be in this country at this time. Wherever God places us in the world, it's not just happenstance. He has a purpose behind it. And so God called us, praise God, five years ago almost, from Illinois to come to Colorado. God had a plan. God has a plan for you as well. You say, why am I here? Well, God's got a plan. We're going to look a little bit at that plan this morning. And so let me read for you verse number 9, then I'll pray and ask God to meet with us. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness, into his marvelous light. The thought, I believe, is we are a nation within a nation. Let me explain that in just a moment. Let's pray and ask God to meet with us. Dear Lord, thank you for your love, your blessing, for the sweet time we've already had, for the wonderful Christ-honoring music. And Spirit of God, would you please do a work in our hearts. We have so much for which to thank you. Lord, we live in this God-blessed nation and thank you for it. Lord, I don't believe that you put us here simply because you love us more. I believe you put us here because you have a purpose for us. Help us understand this morning that purpose. And give us the grace to accept it. Lord, meet with us, I pray. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read you a brief excerpt of an article from the Heritage Foundation entitled, Did America Have a Christian Founding? Of course not, and absolutely, both of which distort the Founders' views. Christian ideas were one of the most important intellectual influences on the Founders. There were three major areas of agreement with respect to religious liberty in church, a church-state religions at the time of the founding. Religious liberty, first of all, is a right and must be protected. Secondly, the national government should not create an established church, and states should have them only if they encourage and assist Christianity. Thirdly, religion belongs in the public square. In short, while America did not have a Christian founding in the sense of creating a theocracy, its founding was deeply shaped by Christian moral truths. More important, it created a regime that was hospitable to Christians, but also to practitioners of other religions. So like the framers of this nation carefully constructed it to reflect their beliefs, so God formed 
a new nation in accordance with his beliefs. A new nation of believers that he called the church. In this passage that I read, we see what this new nation is to be. The church. There's four titles in 1 Peter 2.9. Chosen generation. Royal priesthood. Holy nation. And peculiar people are clearly drawn from two Old Testament passages. This is Isaiah 43, 20, 21, Exodus 19, 6. It reads, The beast of the field shall honor me, the dragons and the owls, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. Then in Exodus, And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. So it's it clear that God had these verses in mind in the Old Testament to present this New Testament truth of this new nation called the church. It's to be a chosen nation, a chosen generation. The word nation can be translated here for the word generation. Literally, it means an elect nation. First of all, just like Israel was God's chosen people, God chose a bride for his son, the church. Revelation 21.2, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Chapter 21, verse 9 and 10, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Notice the amazingly beautiful picture described of the bride descending out of heaven. What a beautiful picture of Jesus receiving his bride. Is it possible that the tradition of the bride coming down the aisle, sometimes descending a staircase to meet her flustered groom, comes from this beautiful image. The bride chosen from for her groom. In Revelation 19, 7 and 8, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Church. The bride of Christ is to be all decked out in this beautiful adornment, clean, pure, righteous. All who by faith trust in Christ become part of this chosen generation, this, this new nation called the church. 
But the New Testament church did not replace Old Testament Israel. One commentator writes, God's elect nation is no longer simply Israel, but embraces the church of Jesus Christ, which is composed of both Jews and Gentiles. Again, the privileges belonging to Israel now belong to the church of Jesus Christ. The church does not replace Israel, but it does fulfill the promises He made to Israel, and all those Jews and Gentiles who belong to the true Israel are now part of this new people of God, the church. Secondly, a praying nation, a royal priesthood. We have a national heritage about five weeks into the Constitutional Convention of 1787 when they were attempting to draft the U.S. Constitution. Their efforts were a signal failure. As things were beginning to break up and delegates returned home to their states, Benjamin Franklin challenged them and called them to prayer. Recorded in James Madison's notes on the June 28, 1787 convention, he, he told them, In this situation of the assembly, groping as it were in the dark to find political truth, and scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us, how has it happened, sir, that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of lights to illuminate our understanding? In the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayer in this room for the divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of a superintending providence in our favor. And have we now forgotten that powerful friend? Or do we imagine we no longer need his assistance? I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this. And I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business. We had a praying nation. A royal priesthood, we're told. You see, this nation within the nation is to be a praying nation. Today, believers are priests before God. We're not in the priestly line of Aaron. We're in the line of Christ. We are therefore in the line of David, the royal line, Revelation 1.6 and hath made us kings and priests unto God and His Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Again in Revelation 5.10, And hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. As such, we can now come directly to God. 
No longer do we need to go through an intermediary. 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. When I knelt down early this morning to pray, I didn't go seeking the help of a priest somewhere. Oh, would you pray for me, sir? Though I do need his prayers. <laughs> I went directly to God. I brought all of my knees, my needs, on my knees to God. I didn't have to feel embarrassed about sharing my needs with anybody else because I could empty my soul to Him. And if I neglect that responsibility, I am not fulfilling my role as a holy nation before God. Which brings me to an holy nation. According to a Library of Congress bulletin in May of 1998, the New England colonies in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Maryland were conceived and established as plantations of religion. Some who arrived in these areas came, of course, for secular motives, to catch fish, as one New Englander put it, but the great majority of settlers left Europe to worship God as they wished and enthusiastically supported the efforts of their leaders to turn individual colonies into a city on a hill or a holy experiment whose success would prove to European enemies that God's plan for His churches could successfully be realized in the American wilderness. Patrick Henry once said, Righteousness alone can exalt America as a nation. Whoever thou art, remember this, and in thy sphere practice virtue in thyself and encourage it in others. What was the goal of our founding fathers? One of which was to present a holy environment. What's God's goal for our nation within a nation, the church? Believers are to be holy before God. Because we've had our sins washed by the blood of the Lamb, our position before the Father is holy and righteous. We are a holy people before God. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is Holy, which temple ye are. Peter used the exact words of Exodus 19.6 in identifying the church as a holy nation. Positionally before God, we're holy. Is your position reflecting how you act? The people that you interacted with these last seven days. Would they give testimony to the fact that you are part of a holy nation? Did they see in you something reflected the holiness of God Almighty? Fourthly, we're a peculiar people. I've never had a problem with that. I just feel like I'm kind of peculiar in any way. And so I've got a problem with it until I realized what the word meant. Literally, it means purchased. It's a, it's a purchased 
people, purchased nation. Of course, we know that we, believers, are purchased. Jesus paid an enormous price when he hung on the cross and shed his blood to purchase us. You ever wondered what happened to the 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence? This is the price they paid. Five signers were captured by the British as traitors, tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons in the Revolutionary War, Revolutionary Army. Another had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 fought and died from wounds or hardships resulting from the Revolutionary War. These men signed and pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. That was the price paid by our founding fathers. It falls short of the price paid by our lovely Lord Jesus. The price he paid for the church. 1 Peter 1.18, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish, Without spot, Christ redeemed us with his blood. He bought us. He bought us back. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you're not your own? For you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Similarly, in 1 Corinthians 7, 23, Ye are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. So we, the church, are this nation within a nation. And there's to be something different about us. Yes, we're to be peculiar. But with the full realization that that means that we know we have been bought by the blood of Christ. We owe Him our lives as this holy nation, the church. Chosen generation, royal priesthood, peculiar people. Verse number 9, the end of the verse says that we're tasked to become the lights of His praises. It reads, in verse number 9, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You, you who are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation and a peculiar people. You, specifically, the church. You who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You, he said, have a responsibility. I'm giving you a job, a task. What is that task? We are to show forth his praises to the world around us to the nation around this nation, if you will. Show forth means to publish, to celebrate His praises. 
Ephesians 3.21, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. When the world thinks of this church, what do they think of? Across this great nation, far too many times, the church in the community is not thought well of because of the bickering that goes on in there. The fights that goes on inside the church. And then when those church members go out into the community, they have a bad reputation. They don't pay their bills. What does this community think of this church? We're to be a holy nation. This nation within a nation needs to be different. Reflecting the one who purchased us with his blood. We're tasked. In Isaiah 43, 21, This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. In Philippians 2, 15, That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. One commentator wrote, a little phrase, that ye should show forth the praise of him, describes the purpose of God choosing Christians as his people. Christians are not only called to bless the world, but to make known the mighty acts of God as they have witnessed. Here, Peter probably has in mind the resurrection of Christ and the conversion of the believers to whom he writes. One commentator writes, Let us remember the church as a generation to show forth the excellences of God. Through good men, not necessarily great men, does God reveal his character. Through holy men, not necessarily able men, does he make known the benevolence of uprightness, and genial warmth of his nature. <laughs> but I can't do anything. I'm not talented. I'm too scared to talk to people. How could God ever use me? You know, it's amazing how much your neighbors know about you. You say, oh, no, they don't. I never talk to my neighbors. Oh, your neighbors know a lot about you. If you want to find out, just go to your neighbors and ask them about their neighbor. And they will unload. Man, they know stuff about them. Your neighbors know some things about you, even if you've never talked to them. They know if you go to church regularly. They know what your general overall attitude about life is. When they see you out work in the yard, they know some things about you. If they happen to catch you at Walmart, they know some things about you. Oh, you didn't see them, but oh, they saw you. We're to be a holy nation. We're to reflect the image of our Savior to the world, to, to the nation around us. Written in the Congress, U.S. House Judiciary Committee of 1854. 
had the people during the revolution had a suspicion of any attempt to war against Christianity, that revolution would have been strangled in its cradle. In this age, there can be no substitute for Christianity. That was the religion of the founders of the republic, and they expected it to remain the religion of their descendants. And we now know that Christianity is no longer the major religion in our country. You say, oh, wait a minute. We're still a Christian nation. Perhaps it's time to get your head out of the sand and realize that no, no, the, the average is to not run across people that believe just like you do. It's not the average anymore. Oh, it was the world that I grew up in. Everybody wasn't saved, but we could all carry on conversations about God and about church and make fun about the pastor. We could all have all those things. But now when you go to the average door out here in this community, the average response is, no, I'm not interested. Well, let me just ask you, what kind of a church background do you have? I don't go to church. Zero interest in church. Zero. Are we making an impact on our community? Are we reflecting the one that purchases? Are we taking the holiness of God applying it in our own lives so that the people out there see what true holiness is? Or are we complaining and bickering just like everybody else? Are we even bad attitudes in the store like everybody else? We look around, everybody else got a bad attitude. I might as well too. Everybody else is a bad driver out here. I might as well be too. I'm starting to think that if you're a good driver, you're going to get run off the road out here. I'm not sure. Peter said, but eat. Right before that, he describes what, what, what the world around him is like, and it's not a pretty picture. And he said, but ye. And I'm encouraging us to remember that to us, ye, we are to be a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a peculiar people, a people who recognize they've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And with that knowledge, we ought to reflect Him in everything we do. Thank God for our freedoms. Thank God that I can stand here confident, not worried about somebody busting in here with guns saying, shut this place down. But our obligation is far more than just me standing behind a pulpit and preaching. Our obligation is to be this holy nation within our nation, reflecting it in our communities where we live. Before you get through this holiday season, celebrating the fourth, don't forget to thank God what you have. We're a rich people in Christ. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for 
this morning and giving us this opportunity to reflect back on the fact that we as a nation within a nation have so many blessings but with those blessings come great responsibilities and Spirit of God I'm gonna ask you right now once again to do a work of convicting in us this morning if there's some areas that we need shaping up if we're not adequately reflecting the image of Christ to our community Lord help us to confess and get our right get our hearts right if you came in this morning and you do not know conclusively that Jesus is your Savior. I've got good news for you. Jesus died on the cross to pay for the sins of all mankind. That payment was already made. And from us, He asks that we come to Him by faith. We confess to Him that we're sinners. And we trust Him and Him alone to forgive us and to save us. Has there ever been a time in your life where you have personally trusted Jesus Christ to save you. If not, oh, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again three days later, you could put your faith and trust in Him this morning. And He would honor His word and forgive your sins and take you to heaven. Nobody's looking around right now. All heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I wonder. Is there anyone here in this audience that would say, Pastor, I don't know for sure that heaven is my home when I die, but I want to know. Would you pray for me? I'm going to ask you to put your hand up so I can see it. I'm not going to call your name out, but I'll pray for you. Anyone like that? Pastor, pray for me. I want to know for sure that heaven is my home. Please pray for me. Let's all quietly stand to our feet. Everyone standing. Give just a few more moments for the Spirit of God to work in hearts this morning. In what way are you reflecting His image to the world? In what way are you not? Would you ask His help to be a pure reflection of His grace to those around you? We meet people every day. We drive by them every day. What kind of an influence are we having on them? Have you recently asked God to loosen your lips and to give you boldness to share God's message of salvation to them? Would you now ask? Gracious Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for meeting with us and thank you again for our freedoms. Continue to bless the remainder of this service, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Pastor.